0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've already had uh, together as a church family this morning, uh, witnessing uh, our two brothers uh, be baptized by immersion to show um, uh, that they have asked you to forgive them of their sins and made you the king of their lives. I thank you that you are a living and active God that does not exist just in the pages of a book does not just exist somewhere out in the world, but you are. we can see evidence of you in our lives. We can see you changing us, stretching us, uh, making us stronger through your Holy Spirit, leading us through different trials, different temptations, breaking addictions, making us more and more like the image of your Son. I thank you for your word, that your word is also living and active. And it, every word that we read should make an impact on our lives in some way. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing upon our message time this morning, that your word would go forth. It would continue to be a blessing as this morning has already been so much of a blessing. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The concept of light versus darkness has has pretty much existed since the beginning of time. In ancient Chinese philosophy, the yin, or the dark side, represents negative energy, while the yang, or the light side, represents positive energy. In ancient Egyptian religion, the sun god, Ra, was the deity of light and life, while darkness was the enemy of Ra and represented hunger, danger, and death. Even in ancient Mesopotamian religion, where Abraham originated, the sun god, or that which was light, was the highest form of worship. Hinduism, which is about 4,000 years old, has has light symbolizing knowledge and darkness symbolizing ignorance. Fast forward about 5,000 years, and you have the contrast between the Middle Ages, after the fall of Rome, or what was known as the dark ages right everybody with me so far okay don't give up on me i'm two minutes into my message okay (laughs) the dark ages as opposed to the enlightenment right that followed that portion of human history even in modern times j.r.r tolkien described evil sauron and his servants as dark and darkness Star Wars has the, what, light side of the force and the dark side of the force. And regardless of your opinion of this, Voldemort in the Harry Potter series and everything associated with him is connected to darkness. Strangely enough, in Wiccan witchcraft, one of the major aspirations in Wicca is the balance between light and darkness within you. Long story short, if I went around the world and handpicked people from every area of the world, from the remotest tribe in the Amazonian rainforest to the remotest tribe in the Arctic Circle, and I put them, and everything in between, and I put them all together in the same room, and I started describing the concept of light versus darkness in some form or fashion. Once they understood what I was saying in their language, they would instantly make a connection to that metaphorical battle in their culture. Isn't that incredible? This universal uh, image, this universal um, battle between uh, two different uh, concepts, light and darkness. Out of all the differences that there are between cultures, religions, and people in the entire world, this one concept is universal and something anyone and everyone would understand in some form. So if you think about it, when we read the words in the first chapter of John, which we just read in our gospel reading, this is brilliant. It's simply brilliant what John does through the Holy Spirit to relate Jesus in this way, as the light. Think about it. If you wanted to have a universal concept of relating Jesus to someone from any culture, any background, and from any time period in human history, This is it. Jesus as the light. There would be an instant recognition of this. In John's world, everyone already had an understanding of what the Word was. A personified personified concept of wisdom, the law, the Word of God, and reason that held the entire universe together and dictated what happened in it. Anyone in John's world would have recognized that. John has already taken that, in his world anyway, universal understanding, and has already said that exists. It's not just some personified concept that you know as the Word. It is an actual person. He not only had a major role to play in the creation of the universe and holds it together, but he's also God. He has a name, and his name is Jesus. Remember, John's whole purpose in writing this book in 85 to 95 AD was missionary in nature. He wanted to get the message about Jesus and salvation found in Jesus and Jesus alone to as many people as he possibly could. So then it's no wonder then that he uses the already established understanding of the word and has already applied it to Jesus. But then he takes an even more already established understanding that anyone, regardless of culture, religion, or even time period would get. And that is Jesus Christ as the light. If you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 1. And we're going to be reading, uh, we left off at the first part of verse 4 last week. This week we're going to pick up with the second part of verse 4 and into verse 5. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And we read, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. But for everyone around the world, in every culture or time period, to hold this universal understanding, it had to start from somewhere. John has already been obvious in his connection of the beginning of his gospel to the beginning of what? The entire Bible, right? The entire Bible. In fact, as, we refer, as, we've, uh, as I've referenced over the past few weeks, John starts out his book with the exact same three words as the very first verse in Scripture. In the beginning. In the beginning. In Genesis 1.1, it follows with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's, this is no accident that John starts his book out the exact same way. Because John then links Jesus to the creation of those heavens and earth, in short, the entire universe. He is the embodiment of the word of God, which God used to speak everything except the land animals and human beings into existence. So like we talked about last week, it was through Jesus that everything that exists or has ever existed came into being. Not only is he the way, the only way, and the only originator of everything that exists in the universe, everything that's material, all the forces and natural laws that hold everything together, and our physical bodies, but he's also the originator of everything we can't see, like love, life, and our eternal souls. In short, everything about us, everything about us, who we are the universe we live in, the experiences we have, is all owed to Jesus as the source. Just as John point-blank connected Jesus to all of creation itself as its very source, John now connects once again back to creation and directly links Jesus to the very first day of creation. What were the words that God the Father spoke which were then carried out by God the Son on that very first day of creation, the very first thing that was created which everything else followed? Let there be light. That was the very beginning. Indeed, on the very first day of creation of our human understanding of this concept of light versus darkness in Genesis 1 2 we find out that the darkness represented the unformed world chaos upheaval instability emptiness without meaning and purpose and without distinct form we read the earth was formless and empty and darkness that's what characterized the earth before God said let there be light darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. It's into this meaningless, empty, purposeless chaos that God calls forth light. It's the light that holds the meaning, fulfillment, order, knowledge, and purpose for everything that will follow in this universe. Light is the first creation of bringing order to which was once all dark. Light is the first creation of bringing knowledge to which was once all dark. And light is the first creation of bringing fulfillment, meaning, purpose, to which was once all dark. It's only fitting then that this very first concept and item that's created That this is the very first item that's created, for that will inform the greater overarching understanding and order of everything else that is created will adhere to. And it's only fitting that we see this concept of light representing the order and wisdom of God throughout the rest of human history, and more specifically in the faith and scriptures of God's chosen people. In fact, as you work your way through the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, the next time we see this concept of light versus darkness is not until the book of Exodus. We see it in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, and then we don't see it pop up again until the very next book the book of Exodus, and the establishment of the bloodline of God's covenant with Abraham into the entire nation of Israel, complete with the God-given law or word of God to that nation through Moses. When Pharaoh once again refused to release the Israelites enslaved under his rule, God sends a plague that is the complete opposite of the first day of creation. What's very intriguing about this plague is that it's the ninth plague. So it's the last plague before the devastating tenth plague of the death of every Egyptian firstborn son. God went all the way back to the very first day of creation on which he created light and spoke it into darkness in order to send darkness over all of Egypt. This had a few different theological purposes. Firstly, God showed that he was the author of light, and therefore all of creation. This was in complete opposition to the Egyptian sun god, Ra, who was said to be the light from which all else in creation originated. God showed that not only was it he who is the author of light, and therefore everything else in creation, but he was also in complete control of it. He could add it, and he can take it away. He could always remove his light, thus revealing the darkness that all would continue to be in had he not first created that light. And with this plague, he was pointing something else out that could not be unless this plague had come from God. During all that time, in Egypt, the people could not see each other, and no one moved. But there was a major difference. There was light, as usual, where the people of Israel lived. See, God was outright showing the Egyptians that he was the author of light, and thus he was the one who could control it and remove it, and he's connecting his people with that light, the light of God's people still had this physical light and all that that light represented wisdom order and God himself this was both to the to the Egyptians frustration and to point out to the Israelites that light represented God's favor and God's presence with them keep that in mind this concept of light representing not only God's wisdom But God's presence was fully driven home, if the Israelites were paying attention anyway, when what led them out of Egyptian captivity through the parted Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years? At night, anyway, a pillar of fire, a pillar of light in the darkness of the surrounding pagan world. We read, the Lord went ahead of them. This represented his presence. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. In other words, the light that represented God's presence also guided them both physically and as we also see in God giving his word, his law to Moses, also guided them with his wisdom for how he wanted them to live as his people. It's no wonder then that the truth of God's creation of light to bring order and to represent his wisdom became a permanent and revered fixture of the Jewish tabernacle, which was what? The lampstand, the menorah, of pure gold. God says, make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. Make the entire lampstand and its decorations of one piece. Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives, olive oil for the light to keep the lamps burning continually. That was important. This lamp was always supposed to be lit continually. The lampstand will stand in the tabernacle. Where was it supposed to be placed? in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron and his sons must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. This menorah had much symbolism. As a source of light, it represented the wisdom of God given to his people. As it was to be located in front of the Holy of Holies... Where the Ark of the Covenant was, shedding its light on it, it represented the presence of God. And as was commanded by God to keep the menorah filled with olive oil, to keep it lit continually and never go out, it represented the never-ending and eternal characteristic of both the eternal wisdom of God and the eternal presence of God with his people. Every time the nation of Israel looked at the tabernacle in the wilderness or the temple Solomon built or the synagogues in Babylon or Zerubbabel's rebuilt temple following the return to Judah or the temple that Herod the Great built that Jesus regularly taught in, they were to be reminded of both of these representations of that menorah. The wisdom and the presence of God. It's no wonder then That when the pagan Greek army came and desecrated the Jewish temple during that 400 year portion between the closing of the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus and threatened to kill anyone who didn't worship the Greek gods, therefore threatening to wipe out Judaism from the face of the earth and wiping out the bloodline of the coming Messiah, that when the Maccabees finally drove them out and they cleansed the temple, that that menorah was suddenly thrown into the spotlight. When the light of that menorah was going to go out, God provided that that menorah stay lit, even though it made no human sense. God commanded that it stay lit to represent his eternal wisdom and presence. And when it looked impossible, God himself provided for it to stay lit. This may sound familiar to some of you, for every year after that, the Jewish people have celebrated that event that represents God sparing his people from annihilation. And Christians can observe its significance in God sparing his people and the Messianic bloodline. If God had not intervened in that time of human history, which is celebrated every year at the time of Hanukkah, the Messiah would not have been born. Now, Is there currently in 2021 a menorah that is lit continually anywhere in the world? No. There is not a menorah that is currently lit continually. Not since 70 A.D. It hasn't been lit continually for 2,000 years. Not since 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed the temple and left only the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem has a committed menorah been lit continuously. So... What gives? How do we connect this to today? Why did God give the command to keep the menorah lit, even stepping in to keep the menorah lit, a couple hundred years before Jesus was born, and then just let it remain unlit for almost 2,000 years, except for the eight nights of Hanukkah? It's because something happened in between 165 B.C., when God kept the temple menorah lit, and 70 A.D., when the Romans extinguished it, that changed the world forever. And when that happened, when this event happened, that in between, happened in between 165 B.C. and 70 A.D., it changed the world forever and transferred the meaning of the menorah to something, or rather, someone else. The tabernacle menorah, and all other subsequent holy locations for it, was only ever supposed to be a symbol. A sign to point Israel to God. Again, the symbol was, remember, God's wisdom and God's presence. King David wrote many Psalms that included God's presence and his wisdom as represented by light. Second Samuel twenty two twenty nine says, O Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord lights up my darkness. Likewise, this very famous psalm, the Lord is my what? Light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? And these very famous verses that we learn uh, as a kid, perhaps your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's presence, and God's wisdom, or his word. Indeed, all of the books that are called wisdom literature, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, they're all filled with images of light in direct connection to God's presence and God's word, or God's wisdom. But here is the problem. The problem was that Israel was supposed to be that light in the midst of the pagan and dark world. They were to be the light that drew the rest of the dark world to them and therefore to God. But time and time again, what happened? They gave it up. They gave it up. They gave that role up. They were only human and therefore sinful. And they gave up their role because of that sin in being the representation of light God's presence with his people, and the law being his wisdom. Since God himself is the only one who is perfect, and the perfect manifestation of life of light, God had to step in to bring that light, not only to his people, but to the whole rest of the Gentile world. And I th- I'm pretty sure that everybody sitting here or watching this online can say, Thank you, Lord. Not only for bringing your light to the Jewish people, to your people, but to the entire Gentile world. When we get to the prophet Isaiah, he then reveals that everything that light represents about God's presence and God's wisdom will be manifested in a person, in God's servant, the Messiah and the King who will rule over the whole earth. Where Israel failed... God, as this messianic king, will be the light of God's presence and wisdom to the whole world. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the protected ones of Israel. That's that's just too little. I'm going to do something big through my servant. I will also make you a light of the nations all the Gentiles and all the whole rest of the world so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's what the light, the Messiah, would do. He would bring, it was too small of a thing to only bring it to God's chosen people, to Israel. He was going to bring the light of God's presence and God's wisdom to the ends of the earth to reach every person from every people group. And so indeed, between 165 B.C. and 70 A.D., that messianic king was born around 4 to 5 B.C. When Mary and Joseph bring the infant Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord in obedience to the Jewish law, a prophet named Simeon makes this declaration about Jesus. He says, he is a light to reveal God to the nations, direct Fulfillment of that Isaiah prophecy. And he is the glory of your people Israel. For the very first time. He's only what? Eight days old. For the very first time. This Jesus born in Bethlehem. And raised in Nazareth. Was publicly declared as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And being the manifestation of God's light. To not only Israel. But to the entire world. And right here in our passage this morning, the Apostle John takes this universal concept that everyone reading his book, no matter who it was, no matter what time period they were living in, had a rudimentary knowledge of, and he takes that and applies it directly to Jesus. John writes in 1.4, the second part of verse 4, that Jesus is the light of all humankind all humankind he is the universal and he's the worldwide light in the Jewish and biblical understanding that John was writing from however it's his intention that Jesus be connected with the Jewish understanding of light remember God's presence and God's wisdom John will elaborate a little bit more on this in his first chapter and will build on Jesus as the light throughout the whole rest of this book. In John chapter 8, Jesus himself will openly declare, I am the light of the world. Make no mistake about it. Everything that light is supposed to represent that God created it to be, that's me. I am the light of the world. John will connect Jesus to the manifestation and fulfillment of God's presence among his people when he says, So the Word became human and made his home among us. His presence was among his people. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. John will also outright connect Jesus to the manifestation and fulfillment of God's wisdom to humankind, When he says, this was the true light that coming into the world, enlightens, gives wisdom to every person. See, a lot of people are running around this world seeking the wisdom of the universe. Or some connection to something beyond them. A lot of people chase after tapping into the forces of the universe. Or attracting and capturing the positive energy of the universe, therefore achieving some kind of enlightenment. You don't need to do that. Frankly, all that is, is a deception of the enemy of your soul, meant to distract you from the only one who can reveal to you the wisdom of God. It's meaningless and it will only leave you empty. The only one who can give you both the presence and wisdom of God is the light, Jesus. However, God's wisdom, according to the Apostle Paul, is just plain foolishness. To this world. It's not self-enlightenment. It's not found in a self-help book, podcast, or blog. It's not from listening to some spiritual guru or some other expert of some kind. It can't be discovered. It can't be found by the smartest scientists and most brilliant minds in human history. God's wisdom is only found in Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection. You know what that does? That takes all of the world's wisdom and stands it on its head. That simply does not make any sense to the world, nor to anyone in the world who God doesn't open the spiritual eyes of to see. And that's exactly the way God made it. That's exactly the way God created it to be. Jesus is where all of God's wisdom revealed to humankind begins. Through Jesus. He is the fulfillment and embodiment of all the messages God had given to Israel beforehand. And he is the fulfillment and embodiment of all the messages given through the apostles in the New Testament sense. So, when we talk about Jesus being the wisdom of God, since he's also the embodiment of the Word of God, we need not and must not look any further than the written Word of God that has existed for the past 2,000 years. In its pages are all the wisdom we need for the salvation of our souls and how we navigate through life. You might need to do a little digging. But if you do that, you will find the answer you seek to navigate through life. And when we find ourselves in a very difficult situation, the Apostle James tells us that we can pray, just pray and ask God for his wisdom to know what to do, and he will reveal it to us. It's only because of Jesus that we can have God's presence in our lives now and fully experience it when we go to be with him at death. Our sin separates us from God's presence because of his holiness. But by Jesus taking our place on the cross and paying the death debt for our sin on our behalf, we can take Jesus for our own. When we see our need to be saved from the payment of our sin, that is the ultimate death or the second death or hell, we repent of that sin based only on Jesus' death payment for us. We take him as not only our savior, but our king as well. And God's word tells us that God adopts us into his family to bestow his presence and his wisdom on for the rest of our lives and on into eternity. But each of us must accept and take that for ourselves personally. That's what the two men that were baptized have done. Their baptism represents the decision they had already made in their hearts. To repent of their sin, to accept Jesus' death and resurrection for themselves, and to seek to please Him with the rest of their lives. When you too make that decision, you gain the true light. The revelation of all of who God is manifested in Jesus. In fact, scripture tells us that when we make this decision, God himself makes a home within us. The Holy Spirit sent from the light, sent from Jesus and the Father. So in your darkest of times, in your impoverished of times, in your physically painful times, in your most fearful, confusing, and anxious times, the Holy Spirit will give you God's peace, God's healing, God's comfort, and God's joy. Amen? Amen. And the Holy Spirit will enlighten us, will give us the wisdom to understand the wisdom of God found in His Word. But it all starts with faith in the true light. Not only is Jesus the light, and all that that entails, but John writes in verse 5 that the darkness, depending on your translation, either didn't comprehend it or overcome it. In the Greek language, this word translated in the English as comprehend or overcome has this idea of grabbing something forcefully and forcibly in order to make one's own, like apprehending something or someone. In a way, this could mean comprehension or understanding, like taking knowledge for one's own. But a better understanding is that which overcome describes being apprehended. See, ever since the creation of humankind, Satan and his powers of darkness have been out to destroy the bloodline of the Messiah, the existence of the Messiah, and continued faith in this Messiah. He succeeded... in in persuading the pinnacle of God's creation to disobeying God's one command and introducing sin into the world. It's at that point that God reveals the coming of the true light into the world that would ultimately destroy his kingdom of darkness. Ever since that point... Satan tried putting the pieces together himself and thwarting the arrival of this Messiah, the arrival of this light. I'm not going to go through every single instance. But go through the entire Old Testament from creation onward and try to see things from the behind the scenes angle of the kingdom of darkness trying to thwart the arrival of the messianic light. By either trying to kill people in the messianic bloodline or corrupting Israel and its kings or outright trying to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth. Then, when the Messiah is born, Satan tried to get him killed as an infant by Herod, then tempted him to try to get him to sin, then believes he's finally won when the Messiah takes his last breath on the cross. But as we all know, even then the prince of darkness lost. Even then, it was the plan of the the prince of darkness that was thwarted and crushed when the true light took his first breath in the grave and burst forth out of it, carrying the keys of the kingdom of hell with him. Amen? Amen? And even now... The powers of darkness have their sights set on destroying faith in Jesus. They have their sights set on church leaders, on men and women trying to raise their families in the faith and knowledge of Jesus, on the destruction of godly marriages, on deceptive messages that carry just enough truth to sound good, on making what is evil seem good and what is good seem evil, and on plucking away the seeds of the gospel out of the minds of those who hear it. We will fight against the kingdom of darkness until the day we die. Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Don't be deceived into that. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. You don't even see it happening. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is not to scare us. But to make us aware of everything that's going going on around us and over us. We need to be constantly on alert and aware of these spiritual battles going on all around us, in our families, and even within us. But rest assured, brothers and sisters, just as John writes here in 1.5, that try as hard as it has, the darkness can never, has never, and will never overcome, uh, uh, apprehend, or forcibly capture the light. It's Jesus's kingdom that will last forever, and it's the power of the kingdom of darkness that has already been crushed. So we need not fear it. This same apostle John will write elsewhere, you are from God, little children, so have no fear. You have overcome them, the powers of darkness, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Any sins, temptations, addictions, fears, depressions that the enemy tries very hard to keep you held down with, you can have victory through the Holy Spirit since Jesus has already defeated the power of everything having to do with that darkness. Jesus, the light, is the very revelation of the wisdom of God And his Holy Spirit is the manifestation of the presence of God in our lives. He has already overcome darkness with his death and resurrection and lives again to give us the hope of that victory. This means victory in every way in our lives here and now and victory over death one day by living on for eternity with Jesus. Take this light for yourself today if you haven't done so already. And let us all live for this light every day as we look forward to the arrival of his full kingdom of light here on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this verse and a half in your word that describes to us that everything written in your word about the light, all that it represents, all that it means, is manifested in Jesus. We need not look any further than him. He is our light. He is the manifestation of God's presence in our lives, and He is God's wisdom to us. I pray that if there's anybody here today or watching online later that has not yet made that decision to make Jesus their light, to make Jesus the the salvation of their sins, to repent of their sinfulness, take Jesus' death and resurrection for their salvation on their behalf and make him the king over their lives, I pray that they would do so right now. And Lord, I pray that all of us would remember all that you are, As the light in every way and in every area of our lives. Even though it seems like the powers of darkness are strong, we need not fear, we need not be discouraged because the kingdom of light has already crushed it. May we live on in the power of that might and that strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me.